Would you thank Crystal once again for being here? <clears throat> I encourage you, church, to take a few moments afterward to meet her, uh, chat with her a little bit, stop at her booth out there out in the lobby, and learn just a, a brief more about uh, the ministry of Rafa House. Leads me into what I've been saying the last few weeks, and that is the fact that this world is a crazy mess. We've been talking about that. This world has all kinds of problems, economical problems, social problems, uh, human trafficking problems, as we bring to your mind today. Uh, this world is, is dark. It's, it, times are dark. We have problems on, on every corner of our nation and every part of this world. And I believe that God wants us, the church, to lead out in how do we handle the problems that we face today. I believe God wants us to bring hope to a world that's in troubled times. Do you agree with that? Do you believe it's the church's responsibility for us to live out hope in this world? There's an antidote to anxiety. And I believe that we, the church, have that antidote to anxiety. And, and we are supposed to carry that with us each and every day. And as we carry that in our society, we bring hope into this world that is full of darkness. We're in a series called the Prayer Series. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, which I believe is the antidote to seven big problems that we face in life. We started off with the first week being our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We focused in on just that first two words, our Father. We talk about what kind of Father God is. That a lot of problems that maybe we have or, or our ideas about God, a lot of times we have those because of our relationship or what our relationship was like with our Father. And if your father was a good, loving father, then you see God as a good, loving father. But if your father was abusive and hurtful, then many times you see God as maybe a tyrant or someone who wants to keep a lot of control of your life, or you could have a roadblock in your walk. You tend to take what your father was like, and we tend to put it on God. That was kind of the whole focus of that message. And then last week, we got into, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second part of the prayer. That's what I call the prayer of surrender. Letting, letting God know, God, I surrender to your ways. We looked at four ways that surrender was the solution to stress. When things are uncontrollable in your life, when things seem unchangeable, when pain is unexplainable, the many times the answer is just the prayer of surrender to lower your stress. And you know, it's real interesting whenever I preach through a sermon, how sometimes you guys will come to me and say, Brian, you preached that, and I dealt with this this week, and it, it dealt with it very specifically. I had one of those. Last week, I said sometimes our challenge is we have our schedule. We have our plan. And then we say, I got this plan laid out, and then our plan gets messed up. Well, I took my son to get his driver's permit. Please pray for me. And I thought we would go on down to the police or to the state police area there on Winchester Road. I thought we'd go in and probably about an hour we'd be done. Long story short, it was about five hours later, after running to the school board to get what we needed, and after going to get eyes checked and getting eyeglasses, da da da, and down the line and down the line. Five hours later, my plans were not um, exactly coming through as I wanted them to come through. And what was I doing throughout that day? I was texting my wife keeping her informed, and I was praying, God, help me surrender. Help me surrender. Help me live out what you have brought into my life and surrender. So this week, we're going to look at the praying independence. 
praying in dependence. If you've missed any of the messages, I encourage you, go to the website, listen in, watch. They're all out there. The prayer of dependence or praying in dependence is the third phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Six simple words. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, you give us today our daily bread. Now, bread obviously is the universal staple food. How do you know it's a universal staple food? You can find it in every single culture. No matter what culture you go to, they have some kind of, of bread. And obviously, when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, He's talking about far more than just bread. Did you smell the wonderful smells of bread as you walked in here today? Thank you to our first touch team and baking some bread and providing some baked items for us. The Scripture tells us that bread represents four things. First of all, bread represents the necessities of life. See, you, we need water to live. We know that. We need air to live. We understand that. We need sunshine to live. You need nourishment to live. It's the necessities of your physical body. And it's interesting that Jesus draws in and he says, here's how you pray. What are we praying? We're asking God for the necessities. The truth is God says, I never create anything without providing what that creation needs. Even the fish in the ocean, God says, I provide for them. Psalm 104 says, the ocean teems with life of every kind, both great and small. In other words, big whales and little minnows. Every one of these depend on, on you to give them daily food. You supply it and they gather it. God supplies for every single one of us. He supplies for the birds. He supplies for the worms. He supplies for the spiders. Even though we may not love them. He supplies for everything that we need. That's God's economy. God says, I supply it. You gather it. When we're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It doesn't mean you sit on the couch, you veg out, and wait for God just to drop things on your lap. Sometimes it involves us getting up. You've got to work. God says, I supply it, but you gather it. Even when he gave manna during the, to the exodus uh, to the children during the exodus in Israel who were leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. The manna, they still had to go and they had to pick it up. It didn't just jump off the ground in their laps. When they, when they received manna, they had to go and gather it. Work is part of God's purpose for our life because I believe it builds character. Proverbs 14, 23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And so we've got to work, but God supplies in our work. So bread, first of all, represents a necessity of life, what you need for physical life. There's more than that. I think bread represents a spiritual implication. Bread represents God's Word, the Bible. Have your Bible with you today? Put it in your lap. Is it on your phone? Is it on your tablet? Grab it out and just hold it for a moment and just think about what you have in your hand. Bread is a symbol of Scripture. It's a symbol of life. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's Scripture. That's what we're supposed to live on. When Jesus said that, he was actually quoting from Deuteronomy back when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt and after the exodus, after 400 years of slavery to walk into Israel, God gave them the book of Deuteronomy and said, this is what you live on. Here are my words. One of the things he said was God humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. It was, a, it was an illustration. It was a life experience that they walked through that said, we've got to trust God. We need to depend upon God. Manna was a supernatural bread that God dropped down from heaven for the people to pick up in the desert because they had nothing to eat. And then he ties that into God's Word. You know what manna means? It's kind of interesting. You go to the Hebrew, 
and look at the literally meaning of manna, it means what is it? Hebrew people had never seen such a thing. And here they were in, in slavery and they were wandering. And because they looked at the manna, they were like, what is it? I've never seen it, never experienced it. So they had to ask it, what is it? And three times a day, the manna would come down. they say, what is it? And three times a day, they started learning, oh, it's something that we can eat. How many ways can you actually fix manna? I mean, that's what they started living on as God provided. You, I imagine manna cookbooks that came out. I mean, you start to think, stop and think about it. What are we having for breakfast? Manna omelets. What are we going to have for lunch? Manna stew. What about dinner? Manna cotti. And that's where it came from. Oh, that's a bad one. Come on now. I thought that was a good one. How many ways can you fix it? He said, I give you bread. He, he taught his people that, that you need more than just physical food. You need the bread of life, which is the word of God. So God says you don't just need physical nourishment. You need spiritual nourishment just as much as you need physical food for your body. That was the comparison or that was the draw. You need spiritual food, word of God, you need truth in your life. The third thing that bread represents is that bread represents the family and fellowship of God. So you don't just have spiritual needs, we have physical needs. We have relational needs. You need people in your life. I know in our culture today, many times we think well, we don't need to. The way we live and we drive in our garages and close our garage doors and live on our computers and we interact just on our computer. But we need face-to-face time with people. We need relationships. Bread is a metaphor for the church, the family of God. God says man shall not live on bread alone. And he also said it is not good for man to be alone. And that's why he created a helper that was suitable for him. And he said, you've got to have people in your life. And God has done that in the church. And that's why God has created the church, so that we don't walk through life by ourselves. Whether you have physical family or not, God says, my family is going to last forever, the church. Whether mom and dad are gone, or grandma and grandpa are gone, or you don't live near them, or you don't see them often, he says the church is to be your family. And a comparison is to bread. Even the phrase breaking bread together is a sentiment for fellowship. Like it's, it's like saying, come on over. Let's break some bread together. And that's been a term that has been used through history. It, it describes fellowship. The bread which we break does not mean that in eating it together we participate and share the fellowship of the body of Christ, but we gather together as one. In the Old Testament, people were to bring fellowship offering. And in their fellowship offering, many times, they would bring part of that was a basket of bread. It was unleavened bread, and it was a symbol of fellowship. In the New Testament, the Bible says this about the very first believers in Acts 2.42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to what? To the breaking of bread and prayer. What's the apostles' teaching? It's the Bible. They're saying, as we studied Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, those guys were the apostles. As we studied their teachings, we got together. What did they do? They studied the teachings. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. So it started off with that fellowship, and that breaking of bread literally means to eat together. Build relationships together. The fact that the Bible tells us about the church, they broke bread in their homes. In other words, they got together in smaller groups. None of their homes were big enough to put 50 or 75 or 80 people. They could squeeze in 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 people into their small little homes. They had a community together, fellowship together, studied the Word together. That's why what we do today called growth groups. That's why we encourage you, church, plug into a growth group because we know you need the relationships. We need the relationships with one another. So bread represents that necessity of life. 
and represents the Word of God. It represents the family of God, the church. And a fourth thing, bread represents salvation. Our salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus chose bread to represent salvation, and we remember that in communion. We take communion every week as part of our services, and we'll do that here shortly. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what also I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in what? In remembrance of Me. So whether it's bread and wine, or rather it's juice and crackers, it's flower and fruit of the vine. When Jesus said this, He said, do this what? To remember Me. It's a symbol. It's not the actual body of Jesus Christ. It's a symbol to remind us. Jesus never said that. In fact, when Jesus said, do this and remember Me, Jesus was still alive. And He sent His disciples and said, now you take this, and when I leave, and you continue doing this to remember Me and not to forget Me, but it's to remember what? To remember that salvation comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He said, I'm giving you this simple meal. Something that they were familiar with. Bread and wine that was in their meals. And he said, I don't want you to forget, so I leave you these symbols. Here's the point. Here's the point. Whatever your need is today, whether it be physical, whether it be emotional, whether it be relational, whether it be spiritual, whatever your need is in your body, or in your mind, or in your soul, or in your spirit, God says, I'll take care of that if you will depend on me. Give us this day our daily bread. God says, you have that stuff going on in your life. All of us do. He says, I'll take care of that if you will depend on me. All that you need, your physical, your spiritual, your emotional, your relational, your financial, any other thing that's going on, if you will pray that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Depend on me, is what Jesus is saying. You've got to depend on me. And that's what I want us to look at in the rest of our time today. How do I do that? How do I depend upon Him? How do I let God meet my needs as He wants to meet my needs? I have to depend on Him. And the Bible says whatever is not of faith is a sin. The Bible says according to your faith, it will be done unto you. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible. It is impossible to please God. So how do we walk in faith in a way that says, God, I'm trusting for you, trusting in you, and God, I'm to depend upon you. I'm going to lean upon you for everything of life. What does it mean? I think it means three things. First of all, I think it means that we see God as my source. If we're going to depend upon God, we have to see Him as a source. That's the first step. Seeing God as my source. The source of what? Literally the source of everything. Not the source of just some things, but everything in life. Everything you see in the world and everything you can't see in the world and in the universe, God made. God made it. He provides it. And the question we have to get to, and the thing that we have to answer in our own lives, is to say, if He made the air, and He made the light, and He made the atoms, and He made everything there is, everything that we have, then will He provide for me? We have to answer that in our minds and say, can I really trust God that much? I want you to remember three truths in this. See, God is source. One is that God gives. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. You see what it says? Every good and perfect gift is from who? From above. That from above means from God. He gives. That's why the Lord's Prayer in this third phrase starts with the word give. You realize we are allowed to say that to God? God give me. God give us our daily bread. Why 
Because it's a gift. Not we can earn it. It's not that we can be good enough. You can't earn it. It's all a gift. Truth number two is this, that God is our supplier. There's nothing I need that God can't provide. There's nothing that I need that God can't supply. He's the supplier of everything. Philippians 4.19 says God will supply all. I love it when, the, when those kind of words are used in the Bible because it, it, usually with God it doesn't say, well, I'll supply some or I'll supply a little bit or I'll only supply this and that. No, he says, I will supply all that you ever need from his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Glorious riches means as lavish as only God can lavish. As lavish as only he can lavish. God has unlimited resources. He doesn't run out. Never runs dry. What this means is there's nothing that I need that God can't provide. Do you believe it? In the way we live our lives, in the way we trust in Him, depending on Him, trusting Him is our source. So the Bible says it's all a gift from God. There's nothing I need that He can't supply. And the third truth in this is that God wants to give it. He wants to give it. You, you need to know that, and, and we need to know that for sure, that no matter what you need in your life, God wants to give it to you. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at Matthew 7.11 says this, if you were asked by your son for bread, would you give him a stone? Obviously, we know the answer is not. How much more likely is that your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask him? We, as parents, want to give our best to our children. We desire to give our best to our children. We do our best to try to provide for our children. And how much more does God want to do that? We need to ask. Jesus is saying, just ask. Give us this day our daily bread because God wants to give it. Now, here's my question for you this morning. Who's your source? When it comes to things of life and everyday walking in life, who's your source? Law enforcement, if they're picking up some money launderers or some drug addicts, uh, they don't really care about the small fry, so to speak. They may pick them up, and then as they inquire with them, they want to get to who's your source. They want to know who's the su supplier. My, my question is for you, for your safety and for your security and your financial stability, who's your source this morning? Is it Washington? Man, I hope not. I hope you don't look to our political structure to answer the questions of life today. It's not going to work. And you can follow all the debates and all the stuff and thinking it's going to get better. It's probably not. Is it Wall Street? Again, I hope not. You've watched that roller coaster of the last several years and you've seen the ups and the downs and you've experienced it. That's not where we have answer. Is it your job? I surely hope you're not trusting your job in today's culture because you could go into work tomorrow and your job could be gone. And you've seen that happen over several times the last few years, and you've heard of friends, and maybe it's even happened to you where, hey, I thought things were pretty secure, and all of a sudden the job is gone. Is it a man or a woman? If you're putting your hope in your husband or in your wife or in a future spouse or in a boyfriend or a girlfriend, I want to tell you, we fail every time. Your source of strength cannot be in another person. You need to look to God. We need to look to God as our source for everything. Who are you looking to to meet your needs? Only God can supply the needs that we have. Do you believe that? Only God can take care of them. And you need to look to Him as a source of your supply. That's what it means to depend on God, to see Him as my source. We pray and say, God, Give us this day our daily bread. What we're saying is, God, you're my source. 
God, you're my source, and I fully depend on you. The second thing it means to depend on God is this, is trusting Him for today. Trusting Him for today. Not for next week, not for next year, not for next month, but just one day at a time. God says, I'm going to make this real simple. I want you to take life in bite-sized pieces, 24-hour increments. I want you to trust me just for today. Notice the Bible does not say, give us this day our monthly bread. It does not say, give us this week our weekly bread. It does not say, hey, give me an annual bread. It does not even say what we're used to, having a paycheck that comes in once a week or once every other week. It doesn't say that. It says, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. What God is saying is, let's develop this relationship one day at a time. Let's just focus on this 24-hour period. It's to be daily, not monthly, not annually, not weekly. What God says, I want you to trust me one day at a time. I'm not asking you to trust me for the rest of your life even. Just one day at a time. One day. Give me today. God, give us this day our daily bread. Just 24-hour commitment. We'll, we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. We'll worry about next week, next week. We'll worry about next month, next month. We'll, we will worry about next year, next year. But let's live for today. What happens is, is we get stuck in what's tomorrow bring and next week bring and next year bring and next year's bring and we start worrying about that stuff and we start fretting. And Jesus is trying to tell us, I don't want you to worry about that. In fact, I don't want you to worry at all. I want you to take it one day at a time. How do you know that? And how do you trust God just for today? Give us today our daily bread. You say, well, preacher, that's a lot easier to say, to say than do. I agree. I agree. I think it's one of the hardest things to do is to live one day at a time. Look at Philippians 4 with me. Verses 6 through 8. We're given four principles about how to do this. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And a peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I call this the prescription to peace. This passage is the prescription to peace for all of our prescription to stress-free living. First of all, it tells us to worry about nothing. You see it in the Scripture there? It says worry about nothing. Do not be anxious is what the NIV says with some translations. Do not worry about anything. The first step is to worry about nothing. He says, I don't want you to worry about anything. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about what you're going to do at work. Don't worry about it. It's the hardest command in the Bible to obey, I think. Don't worry about anything. I, I have a hard time with it. Anybody else in the club with me? It's hard to say, I'm going to let go of it and just say, God, it's all in your hands. Worry, though, is such a big deal. And you say, why is that? Because God says, I don't want you worrying. You may have never realized this, but worry's not just a bad habit. I think worry's a sin. And it puts a wedge or a separation between us and God. You say, why is that? I think it insults God. And this is where I start getting my mind around it. When I start thinking about how I saw God, every time you're worried, you're saying to God, God, I don't believe in your promises. God, I don't believe that you really love me. God, I don't really believe that you care. God, I don't really believe that you'll meet all my needs. You're saying, Father, I don't believe that you're going to take care of me and do all the things you promised to do. And so when we do that, we insult God. 
I think what worry, and some have said this before, and I agree with it, is a practical expression of atheism. At the heart of it, it really is. Because you're acting like an atheist every time you worry. You're saying, I don't believe God will keep His promises. I don't believe that God will take care of me. I believe that I have to figure this all out myself. And so if you have the mindset that says, I have to take care of this all by myself, you're saying, God, I'm not sure that you really exist. And that's an atheist mindset. God's saying, stop worrying. He says, secondly, to pray about everything. He says, there's an alternative. I don't want you to worry. I want you to pray. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, as the Scripture says. Everything, yep, every single thing. Everything that's on your mind that's concerning you or not concerning you. Talking about the good stuff and the bad stuff. Every single thing. God says, here's what you can do in life. You've got two choices. You can worry or you can pray. If you want to increase your prayer life, just start noticing when you're worried and turn worry into praying. And every day you're going to do one or the other. Every time you worry, you're not praying. You're developing stress. Every time you pray, you're not worrying. So, and every time that you pray, you're not worrying. So if you want to flip it, then start praying and you'll stop worrying. So you've got two choices. You can pray or you can panic. We can worry or we can worship. And Jesus is saying through us through the Scripture today, hey, you have a choice. You can worry or you can pray. He says, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. You're always going to be doing one or the other in life. So why not start talking to God about what's going on in life? Worry has never solved the problem for me. I get worrisome and concerned about things. It never has solved a single problem. It's like stewing without doing. It's, um, it's like sitting in a rocking chair. There's a lot of motion, but not going forward anywhere. Worry has never solved any problem. It's the most useless emotion. But prayer can change things. If you prayed as much as we worried, if we prayed about all the things we worried about, we'd have a whole lot, a whole lot less stress and a whole lot less things to be even worried about. Those are alternatives. He says to start, stop worrying, start praying with everything. Literally everything you can possibly think of. The third thing in this passage of Scripture is to thank God in all things. We talked about this two weeks ago. It doesn't say for all things give thanks. It, it says in all things give thanks. I don't think we should be thankful for bad things in our life. I don't think we should be thankful for evil or be thankful for cancer or be thankful for a car accident or be thankful for rape or war or abuse or any of those bad things. I think that would be sick if we were thankful for those things. God, says, God doesn't say be thankful for everything. He says be thankful in everything. And so in the middle of these situations, we can still be thankful. There's a lot of things we can, we can hate in life. A lot of things we can dislike, but God says in everything, give thanks. Why? Because I know that God's going to take care of me. So we can be thankful and say, God, I am thankful that in this situation of life, God, I am thankful that in this challenge of life, God, I am thankful that in this hardship, I know you're with me. I know I can trust you, the source of life. I know I can pray to you. I know you can take away the worry and the stress. And so, God, in this situation that is no fun for either of us, I am thankful that, God, you're walking with me. There's a fourth thing, and it says to think about these things. Or think about right things. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank God in all things. Think about the, the right things. Whatever you put your mind on is what you're going to get. You fill your mind with worries, then you're going to be down. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be defeated. Apostle Paul here has given us these instructions. He says, fill your mind with the right things. You'll be lifted up, hopeful, encouraged, positive. Think about the right kind of things. Well, what are the things he's talking about? He's talking about fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, what's excellent, what's worthy of praise. Where do we find that? Find the Word of God. That's where we find that. 
You won't find that going to the movie theater 99% of the time. There's a few out there that are good. You're not going to find that on television most of the time. You're going to find that in the Word of God. And Paul is directing us to live up this idea of being a stress-free life, to be having a life of peace, is to worry about nothing, to pray about everything, to be thankful, and then to remember the good things, to think on the good things right here in the truth of God's Word. We must be in God's Word. And what I find in today's world, when I talk with people and they're stressed out and I ask about their time in God's Word, it's limited to nothing. So you want to depend upon God? Get a daily dose of God's Word. A daily diet of God's Word. That's the key. Now there's a third key to depending on God. First, I see Him as my source, knowing that it all comes from Him. He wants a good, good, give good gifts. I trust Him one day at a time. I worry about nothing. I pray about everything. I thank Him in all things. I keep my mind on the right things. And there's a third thing, and it's I share what He supplies. Now, I wish I had more time, but we'd have to go into a whole other sermon on this one point. I, I wish we could dive into that. But we need to be people who share as He supplies. Trusting God, depending on God's meaning that as He gives, then I also pass that on. See, when God gives you something, He always wants you to share it with somebody else. Everything God gives you, He wants it shared. Notice what it, what it says. It does not say, give me this day my daily bread. It's a key word. It says, give us. Give us this day our daily bread. So as we pray that prayer, we're praying for me and we're praying for my other friends in God's kingdom. But then as He provides, it says, give us. What are we to do? We're to share. Well, you say, well, how do I know I'm supposed to share it? Because He wants us to be like Him. And what did God do? God shares everything He's got because He's a generous God. God. God so loved the world that He what? That He gave His one and only Son. And so as we pray, God, give us this, give us our daily bread. That means that we want to say, God, as you give it to me, then I'm willing to bless other people. God says, I want you to become like me. I want you to be loving, and I want you to know, to learn how to share. God says, I want you to do that and give to others as I give to you. Because why? We point people towards learning how to trust God. As God provides for us, and we can say, man, friend, family member, church family member, I want to share something with you. Why are you giving that to me? Man, God has blessed me in abundance, and I can share my time, my talents, my treasures. I share it with you. That encourages them in their faith. This is what the Bible talks about they did in early church in Acts 2. Continuing the passage we looked at earlier, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. That's sharing. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They got together then, studying the Word, worshiping together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And look what it says, verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, what? Added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's God's prescription for the church. Depend upon Him for everything. Meet together to worship. Meet together to pray. Meet together to eat together. Meet together to study the Word together. Share what you have. And as you do that, and you enjoy favor with one another, that testimony then is lived out, and then other people are drawn into God's kingdom. I believe we have a responsibility, church, to live out these words to the best of our abilities. And the power of God doing that, depending upon Him. As we depend upon Him, others will follow in that example.
Are you trusting God today for the source of everything in your life? Are you trusting Him one day at a time? Living one day at a time. Not next week and not next month, but just for today. And are you willing to share what He supplies? Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, we ask for You to do a work in us. God, we ask that You would fill hunger in our hearts. Father, sometimes we pursue things of this world, things of this life, because we're trying to depend on other things instead of depending upon You. Lord, we need You. Lord, we need the bread of life to fill up our hearts so that we will never be hungry again. Lord, we don't need more stuff. We don't need to make more money. Lord, we don't need more more jewelry and more cars and, and more things. We don't need alcohol. We don't need addiction uh, problems that we have. Lord, we don't need more food. Uh, Father, we need You. We don't need more relationships. We need You, God. God, help us to depend upon You and draw to You. Lord, help us to trust You for today. Help us to worry about nothing, to pray about everything. Help us to thank You, God, in all things. Lord, help us to keep our mind on the right things. And God, by all means, as we discover dependence in You and upon You, Lord, help us to share with those who we have an opportunity to share with. Father, we thank You for Jesus. And most importantly, God, we are thankful that You are a sharing God and You gave us Jesus Christ to die on the cross. It's in the name of Jesus I pray this morning. Amen.